Um, now we're going to talk about materialism. Yeah. So I'm not sure you need to introduce this because I'm not really sure um, what what you're. I'm not sure either. What we're talking so about here. There was something last time. Are you guys going to go through like nihilism, hedonism, type materialism, or? Um, I thought. Are you talking about like? Um, is it okay to have money? Is it okay to buy things? No, no. Is it okay uh, to have an iPhone? No, that there's no super, nothing supernatural. Uh, About what? What? Nothing supernatural. Like we're all just chemicals firing oh, cells. Oh, okay. And that there's nothing outside of the material world. Matter is all that there is. Cool. Hang on, I can talk about that. That's what I was thinking. Great. Let's see that. Because on my list later on... A metaphysical materialism, not a yeah, consumer yeah, yeah. materialism. I thought we were talking about consumerism. Um, okay. So, um, let's... Can you switch tracks that quick? I think I can. We're going to see. Talking in the chasm. Talking in the chasm. Uh, controversial, conscientious, compassionate. compassionate, controversial conversation between best friends, holy man. And an atheist. Uh, I'm Felix. And I'm Matthew. And we have an audience today. We do. We have three of Matthew's uh, 11, brood of 11. <laughs> My older boys are in the, in the audience. Yes. Looking at screens. Uh oh. Yeah. Hmm? Don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> All three of them looking at the screens. So, so I. What are we talking about today? Yes, I wanted to talk about. It was from our conversation last time, um, which was about abortion, and we we discussed in there like the quality of life and what it came down to was. Um, I suppose a metaphysical difference between the way that you evaluate life and the way that I do. And I thought that would be interesting to talk about. I, I think it's safe to say that you're a scientific materialist, not, not a consumer materialist. You don't want lots of money. <laughs> Both. No, I don't want lots of, I do not want lots of money. That, let's, let's be clear about that. But um, yes. What would you say? What would you say your metaphysical? Yeah, I is? that to me we are just a bundle of electricity and matter and um, hormones and electricity. Uh, yep, and you know a couple of Chemicals. cells blew together and created a little creature that came out of the ocean and turned into another little creature and eventually we got to where we are now, and when we die it's just fade to black. And that, and and it, would it be fair to say that you don't believe that there's anything outside of that reality? So whatever we experience, all right. I I don't. Fits yes. In that category. Yes, that that would be true. Um, I don't believe in you know um, in, in a, a god or spirit world or or magic or anything like that. I love fiction. Mm -hmm. And I love and I appreciate culture and I love to learn about religion and other cultures, um, uh, 
description of the world and where it comes from and, and, and how we all interpret it. I'm, I'm pretty fascinated with that. But, um, and, I, I, and I also think, I mentioned this last time a little bit, why I consider myself a scientist. Uh, what I love about science is that it is open-ended. Mm -hmm. um, science invites doubt. Science encourages doubt. I come up with a theory and then I say, okay, tear it down. I want you to, to doubt me, you know, mm -hmm. come up with all the different things that you can such that you will either prove my theory correct or prove it incorrect and then I can move on to the next thing. To me, I feel like religion is the exact opposite of that. Here is the word. Mm -hmm. There's no question. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about the word. The word is here. This is how it is. And it doesn't invite doubt. In fact, it discourages doubt, in my mind. Mm -hmm. you know? um, that's sort of very extreme, but the, the difference, right? So I feel like science encourages doubt. I feel like religion discourages doubt. Um, now, because it encourages doubt, it doesn't say things are definitely true or not true without evidence. So you don't say there is no God. Mm -hmm. We have no evidence that there is or isn't a God. So I, you know... Um, and I remember thinking about, um, like, telekinesis and you know mm -hmm. moving objects with your mind and, and I just thought well you know that's that's insane but if you think about it I, I can do it I, I can move an object with my mind check it out mm -hmm. I mean I just thought I'm gonna bend this finger and it I mean this is a physical object of the entire and my mind is making that happen right yeah crazy yeah but um, we don't understand everything about about the mind, you know, we're in the dark ages as far as bumbling around figuring out how the mind works. So I'm not, um, I'm open, right, mm -hmm. to everything. Um, but I don't believe in the spirit world. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in uh, in any anything. And I don't believe that there is a a plan. You know, I don't believe that there's a sort of a uh, an idea or that this is sort of a, a machine or clockwork that has been put together by a by a, a creature that knows um, what he's doing. So let me let me state my thesis in worldview, and then we can compare and contrast. The reason that I want to talk about this is because I, I was thinking about our last conversation, and I was thinking about this issue of materialism, and I thought it it it's such an unattractive idea to me, intellectually, first of all, and spiritually and experientially. So I'll leave spiritually for the last because it's the least relevant to both of us but intellectually like when I think about self and life all of the things that have meaning to me and all of the things that matter to me are not material my love my appreciation of aesthetic and beauty my enjoyment of music and it, it seems way too reductionist to call those things the electricity between my neurons. Especially the fact that they're held so broadly in common. Something like love. Something like beauty. Something like hate. Like these things do not seem to be, they seem to be greater than the sum of our parts. Right. There's more to them than us. And that pushes me again and again to step outside of material and assume that there's more than meets the eye. Right. I mean, I, I look at everything that you say, 
you know, because I, I feel the, the same, right? I, I, I love music. I'm a very, um, an, an aesthete, yeah. you know, I'm, uh -huh. visual means a lot to me. Um, but for instance, the eardrum, okay? Uh -huh. Music is a, is a sine wave, okay? And what we have learned is that, you know, when you, when you have a wave and then you have another wave that, that is uh, com compatible with that one, then we, we can make a chord. Mm -hmm. And we know what dissonance is and what harmony is and why it works and why it doesn't work. And it's because the waves are fighting when there's dissonance and they're together when there's, you know. So you can break it down to this is why this but is why But why do we like why. dissonance sometimes and not like it other times? Right. And I mean, you know, there's, uh, there's lots of theories about that. And uh, because... Uh, you can't really have a story without friction. You know, you can't have a story without something happening. And so in order for us to appreciate harmony, we need to have dissonance because we need something to compare and contrast it to, right? So there, there's, there's harmony, there's dissonance. When there's too much dissonance, we, it's confusing and we don't understand it. When there's too much harmony, it's boring and mm -hmm. we don't like it. So that's why there's all different types of music and there's some music I like, you don't like, and whatever. Um, uh, I went to Berkeley, College of Music, and so music is just a big, a big part of my life. But studying this, I remember, uh, I think it was a teacher telling me that um, a, a solo, okay, for instance, a sax solo in a, in a song, uh -huh. uh, we want to hear what we think is going to happen about fifty percent of the time. Okay, so if I think, you know, we're going to hear a lick and I don't hear a lick, I go, oh, okay, that was interesting, I didn't hear it. But then if I hear it the next time, I'm like, okay, yeah, I got it. Uh -huh. if, if we hear what we don't expect 100% of the time, then it's just a big mass of confusion and I don't understand anything. We call it's it experimental It's music. a big mess, you know. <laughs> and if we get what we're expecting all the time, then there's, it's not interesting. Uh -huh. It's totally boring. So... Um, you know, and I'm fascinated with that, with, 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 with looking at it as a scientific thing. You know, how do you break down a guitar solo? I mean, it's just this wonderful, it's this feeling thing. It's we're telling a story. But you can break down a story and say, this is why we like this story. I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can ascribe m meaning to those things without something outside of the matter. Because, because why should the matter have that meaning? We're, we're attributing all of that, we're importing all of that sense into that sine wave. Like, that's not in the wave. We create that. We create the feeling of taste or distaste, enjoyment or, or, or repulsion. We right. create that. Right. And it's subjective. And the fact that we have that potentiality to turn matter into meaning is what pushes me towards a non-materialist worldview. Nothing about the matter of my body compels me to be a monogamist, to, um, to feel differently about my children than your children. None of those things... I mean, you can right, make yeah. arguments about my children. Versus, but, you know, just there's so many attributes of life that, that aren't material. And in fact, when I, when I evaluate, when I draw the sum line, the things that matter most are the least connected to any kind of material sense. Altruism, I, I, I agree with virtue, I feel the same. kindness, of course, right. charity, like all of these things are insensible in a materialist worldview to me. Right. They just don't work. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that if we talk about cells that, are, that blew together and created a... 
lightning struck and then they started to wiggle and they became something. And they crawled out of the ocean and they became something else and then they became something else. And then one day they looked in the ocean and saw the reflection and was like, whoa, that's me. I'm something. Mm -hmm. And then they said, oh, I, I, have a, I have a nose and an eye. And then they drew on the sand, oh, that looks like a nose and that looks like an eye. And I can, you know, um, I, I don't have a problem with it being just a series of events. And the fact that we are self-aware and conscious is 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 awesome it's very cool i is it divine not to me um i feel exactly the same way that you do as far as the most important things in life to me are the um the non-material things the, the the interconnectedness between us mm -hmm. between all things um and some say that that is God or proof of God. I don't. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how how related this is, but when the um, when 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 the planes crashed into the World Trade Center, right in 9/11, um, it was a few weeks after. People just started going, "Oh, Nostradamus predicted that this would happen, and if you fold a dollar bill, you can see the mm -hmm. the, the thing." And so it, it was meant to happen all along. And people think, "Okay." That is, um, that's meant to happen, and it happened, mm -hmm. because it was meant to happen. I think that people have a fear, a real fear of randomness, right? That just one day, you're walking down the street, and lightning strikes you, and you're dead. Mm -hmm. Why does that happen? It can't, that can't be something that just happens out of nowhere. There has to be a reason. God had a plan. God needed you. And it makes me feel better to think that, right? It makes me feel like, okay, there was a reason that 2,000 people died in that thing. There was a reason that those buildings came down. There's a reason that you got struck by lightning. Um, and th that just comforts me, right? I, I feel like this is one of the big reasons that people want, that people need religion, right? They need to know that life is not just this random series of events, that, you know, that there is an actual fear of there being complete randomness. I, myself, am not afraid of complete randomness. You know? Lightning <clears throat> strikes, mm -hmm. and you die. And that sucks. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, I don't feel better when somebody says, Oh, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. No, 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 no it doesn't. Things don't happen for a reason. Things happen because things happen. Because yeah. we're in this world where molecules are crashing into each other, and then it hits, it turns into lightning, and it and it hits the person that molecules turned into you. So let, let so there there is a theological way to deal with that issue. I let me start by saying I don't I don't actually agree. I don't think randomness is what religion is solving. I could buy the argument that the question of the afterlife is is why people have a religious impulse. But I don't think randomness is helped by... Uh, it is in some cases that the the um, Muslims say, Inshallah, it means God is good. Like, no matter what happens, God is good. And there are Christian versions of that too, but I don't think that they're, at least in Christianity's case, I don't think that they're the I think that there, those things are later cultural manifestations of people who are Christians. I don't think that they're inherent to Christianity. No, I, 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 I think they're in, inherent to religion. I mean, if, if, if you have a child 
who dies of cancer at one year old, you you know, religion is a comfort. I think it's a comfort not to deal with what's happening in this life. It's a comfort to know to to feel like there's hope after this life. That there's something more. That it, it's a rejection of of the notion of materialism. So maybe that's what you're striking at. Maybe that's your point. That there's something more than this life. That there are things bigger than me, and there's something bigger than this death. That there's something else that can make meaning, and, and that's yeah. maybe what you're getting at. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think why bad things happen is not is not really the issue at hand. It's that there's something bigger than what I'm experiencing. Some way to to make order out of chaos. And that's, I think that's true to say of religion, that it's trying to make order out of chaos. Well, that's what, when I say randomness, that's what I mean. Chaos. Okay. So, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, chaos is a perfect word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, chaos is lightning striking out of nowhere. Chaos is, is buildings falling down, you know. But, uh, but you, you don't... Your husband being in the building when it got hit by the airplane. Sure. It's, that's just, you know... But you don't ascribe to science, who wants to understand why lightning bolts, why electrons run from clouds to the ground, that, that's, that's making order out of chaos, too. It's, doing, it, it's, it's trying to serve the same function. I think that, that religion is answering the, the questions that we ask with a bigger cosmic intentionality. Well, I feel like science is more about the how and religion is about the why. I mean, okay. science can explain why electrons hit the ground. Religion is, is trying to explain why it hits and kills my friend. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it, that's the chaos that I feel like people need religion for. I mean, certainly, first, early people needed religion to explain what the stars are and what, you know, why the planets move and what's going on with this, you know. Um, they, they, they made up stories, you know, a scarab is rolling the sun across the sky. Uh-huh. Um, the Earth is on a tortoise shell. Right. There's a, it's a little bit of a sidetrack, but <clears throat> there's a fascinating idea uh, in, in Christianity it's generally considered to be a newer idea, and it's called openness. It's an idea that I'm I'm kind of interested in, especially the last year or two. And what it says is that there there is no future, like the future doesn't exist as as a substantial thing. Like right. So so the the classic view of divine foreknowledge is what it's known as in theology is that God knows the future. And like he knows what's going to happen, and it the f- time is like a book to God. He can look forward, he can look backward. It's all mm-hmm. it's all in the pages. This idea called openness says that that's not the case. That 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 all of reality is when God created it. He created it predicated on free will. The free will actions of of all of the free will agents. So all of us are conspiring together to create the next moment. So if you ask someone who believes in openness, is, what does God know what the stock market will be in January 2020? The answer is no. He's probably the best at predicting it. But it doesn't. it's predicated, what the stock market will be in January 2020 is predicated on a nearly infinite number of free will actions that all of us are making from moment to moment. So God has a plan. That's not part of your worldview. No, it is. God does have a plan, but he hasn't rigged the game. 
that he's an he's an active participant. He's not the cosmic voyeur. He didn't just make it all happen and watch watch it play like a movie. So he participates. He he's participatory. So then when you when your child has cancer and you pray, please uh -huh. please stop the, you know, please Yeah. take the cancer away from my child and and your child dies anyway. Yeah. Why do you, does that make you angry? I mean, do, do, you know, do you just say, well, I just don't understand what, 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 what the deal is? So, so let me ask the question in a different way. Um, I'll use myself instead of putting you on the spot. Right now, as we sit here, I have money in my bank account that I'm not using. Right now, as we sit here, I also know that there are children dying in a ghetto in Delhi. Am I a moral monster because I have potential that's not being used. That's, if I can justify the notion that I have money in my bank and children are dying on the other side of the world, mm -hmm. there's a way to conceive that power does not equal the necessity to involve. So uh, there are other considerations why I have money in my bank. I need to pay rent. I need to go to work. I need to provide for my children. So is prayer table. is prayer the people who are dying asking you to help them? Is that what prayer is? Because you're the one with the money. Well, Do you potentially. Know what I mean, I mean, I, 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 but then why pray? I mean, why, well, why here's pray what at all? here's what prayer is for us. Prayer is a few things. Um, prayer is relational. I pray to God the same reason that I talk to my family because I'm, I'm involved relationally with them and because their input is meaningful and my input is meaningful to them. And there's the, the biggest component of prayer is that communicative uh, utility where we are expressing our will, we're asking each other, we're getting insight and, and talking about things. That's, that's how prayer functions at the large end. Can I, but before you go into the, to the next part, I just want to interject. If, you know, when I speak with my family, mm -hmm. I ask a question, I get mm -hmm. an answer. And then I ask again, I get, you know, we, a conversation is this two-way thing and we both learn. Mm -hmm. When you pray to God, are you opening up a conversation? I mean, does, in your mind, does God talk back to you and you guys have this relationship and he says, and he talks to you? It, or is yeah. it more like there's a statue in the room and you speak and you are just talking to the statue and it gives you comfort in the same way that, you know, people say, oh, you talk to your plants and... Then, yeah, know. no, it's much more communicative than the statue. And, and I would say that there, there are other ways to understand communication. We just looked at the painting on my wall. I can't talk to that artist, but he's talking to me. He's telling me something about himself and his views. Mm -hmm. I, I view the world and the created order as God's portrait. He's, it's the fingerprint of God. He's showing me things about himself and what, what is meaningful to him. Like the fact that there are beautiful flowers. Like, why, well, why appreciating a painting is being spoken to. Yeah. It's not speaking. You are not mm -hmm. speaking to the painting, mm -hmm. is my point. Yeah. I mean, to say that that is what God is, that makes sense yeah. to me. Because it's like, wow, okay, I can, you know, I can see, I can feel, I can appreciate, it changes my, mm -hmm. my I see that, it changes me emotionally and mm -hmm. it's in a certain way. But the prayer, to me, is the talking to the painting. Mm -hmm. Because I believe that, that God is, is, 
part of what makes him God is his um, omnipresence, that he's in everything. So we don't understand what holds matter together, why electrons work the way they do. I, I don't know, but I, I think that those are part of the created order, that God's in everything, that he's, he's the architect. He's, he's the archetype and the architect. He's the reason things are sustained, that they are what they are. And, and part of that makes him able to communicate with all of us. There are, there are other versions of this kind of thing, even, even interpersonally among humans. You know, I, I've been interested uh, in Jung's universal consciousness. Uh, I haven't read deeply on it, but I'm just starting to get interested in the idea. He had, I, I watched an interview with him, and he, um, he had this idea of universal consciousness, which is a weird idea. Uh, he said he was at a, uh, an, an asylum in D.C., and he said there was a, uh, I hope I'm not messing up the story, but if I remember correctly, he, he said there was a young man that came and talked to him and said, Dr. Young, come, come, come. And he pulled him over to a window, and they looked out of the window, and he said, you see the ring around the sun? That's where the wind comes from. He said, that's where the wind comes from. And he, he didn't think much of it. He thought, he's in an asylum. He's saying weird things. Then he went back home, and he heard from a friend who was doing archaeological work about some... Babylonian tablets they had just un, just deciphered and uncovered, and one of the texts was about looking towards the ring of the sun from where all the wind comes. And he's like, how can that be? How come the crazy guy in D.C. is saying what these Babylonian tablets are saying from millennia ago? And he read into that and, and some other things, from what I understand, this idea of there's something in between all of us. That's where archetypes come from. That's where dreams sure. come yeah. from. That, which is a very non-material idea. That there's something between us all that's more than the sum of our parts. And I think that's what we tap into through prayer and meditation and the divine. That he has mechanisms to speak to us. I think the Bible is one of those. I think the church is one of those. I think my relationships are one of those. I think the beauty and aesthetics are one of those. I think the creator order is one of those. Those are all ways that he's communicating with me. The way that I communicate with him is in, in devotion to Jesus and as his representative and through prayer. That That's how I understand communication with the divine. All right. So do you... Um, do you... Pray for things to happen or not to happen. I mean, do you say, "Oh, I, I, I pray that my child uh, I, recovers from this sickness." I do, Please but that's not me. the. That's not the. I'm, I'm not like Tim Tebow asking for a touchdown. I, I, I don't interact with God that way. I don't look at him as a wish fulfiller. I do ask him for things, but I ask him for things about me. Uh, one of my most common prayers is about insight, is about knowledge of myself and wisdom for how to act and how to be in the world. I'm not, I don't look to God necessarily for favors. Now, there have been desperate times in my life when some desperate situations, well, if I have a child in the hospital, whatever, that I cry out to God and ask him to remember me and to help me. But I don't have a lot of... Um, I, I ask that the same way that I ask my church, the people in my church. 
to be a support to me and to help me how they can. Right. I don't have expectations that somehow because I'm a Christian that my child's not going to get cancer, but yours is. Well, what about, okay, so your child gets cancer, present company excluded. Your child gets some cancer. Un, uh, some, as, some, you know, as to now, unborn child, child. 15, <laughs> all right, gets cancer. And Poor you, child 15. And, it, and, and you pray, please cure the cancer. Uh-huh. The cancer goes away. Mm -hmm. Do you thank God? Do you say, "Oh, thank God, He answered my prayer"? Because I mean, and maybe this isn't you, because you're you seem more esoteric and a little less, you know. I mean, I just feel like there's a lot of Christians out yeah. there, right, who would say, "Please save my child." Uh -huh. When God doesn't save the child, when God say when when the child gets well, they say, uh -huh. oh, thank God, God saved my child. Yeah. When the child doesn't get well and dies, they go, oh, God has a plan that I don't understand, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, either way... God yeah. wins. Well, right, but I, I, to me, I, I feel like that's a comfort to them. They uh -huh. feel comforted knowing that this child didn't just die because of some random thing, just some horrible bundle of cells that just killed this thing out of, no out of nothing. For, for no reason. Mm -hmm. um, it's just comforting to think, okay, well, he's with God now. Mm -hmm. God has the plan. God wanted him. And so God has him. And that's wonderful to me to think, okay, well, that wonderful person that I loved is now with God. It just makes me feel better, mm -hmm. right? And people need that, and yeah. I get it. Yeah. But, um, well, I can. You know, I sympathize you, with that. I would feel that way if my child died. I would feel like there's there's hope in the resurrection. It, it, you know that's that story that I told last time about Lazarus when when his daughter when his sisters come and and are broken. Jesus cares about the loss, even though they're they're going to he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So in that case, you know this this idea of divine sympathy of 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 Jesus being an being someone who can understand the things that hurt us and hurting with us is an important part of who and what he is in, in, in to Christian people. But I don't, I, I believe in miracles and I think that I've seen some miracles. I have a son named Lazarus because they told us three times that he was dead before he was born. And, and that's where that comes yeah, from. Yeah, I, oh, I, I didn't know that. Right there is his coffin. No way. Yeah. Oh he was supposed to be in the ground. And I, when, when Eric and I went in for, um, for uh, an ultrasound, she was bleeding horribly. And we had been told already twice that we had lost the baby. We went in to see a perinatologist who had, we had worked with with some of our premature children already. He knew us well. And he was supposed to, he was supposed to do an ultrasound to check and see what was going on in her uterus and see if they needed to do a DNC. As soon as the machine flipped on, you know a lot of times they do an ultrasound, it's like, it was yeah, just yeah, squiggly, yeah, yeah. squiggly. As soon as he flipped it on, there was Lazarus, just like clear as a bell. Can we, can we see that? Yeah. That coffin? Maybe, maybe one of your kids can grab it. Oh, how about Lazarus? <laughs> <laughs> He's right there. Come here. <laughs> Wow, come here. that's crazy. Yeah, come hold your coffin there, little boy. <laughs> what? That's insane. Okay. Let me see what's in here. 
And then she, he just disappears and he appears in there. There's, uh, there's stuff from here. Someone's handprint. I don't know who that would be. I don't know okay. what all is in here, but we had stuff from when he was born. Well, this is the hospital. He was stuff. my earliest baby. There's an upside down cross in here. <laughs> What's up with that? Yeah, this is all stuff from him. Anyhow. Right. Well, that's, that's crazy. Okay. So, so. So you prayed. Well, I, I, well, I did, but I, my point in all that is that I wasn't expecting that miracle. I, I, I didn't have expectations that God owed me a miracle. But Lazarus being fine and awesome and working out pretty well so far is um, a miracle? Yes, I, I think so. Um, and, but but whether that was just a material reality. Why was a miracle needed? I mean, why well, didn't he just just develop normally and then God wouldn't have had to make do a miracle? You know what I mean? It's like uh, because okay, because the world the world doesn't operate on miracles. Like a miracle is a breaking of the natural order. So when Jesus does miracles in his lifetime. The, the world doesn't operate that way. He's breaking the natural order. So, so it has to be something... Are you saying that there was no scientific... You know, you couldn't follow Lazarus's ebb, ebb and flow by with science? No. Like, you couldn't say, oh, the cells did this, and then the cells did that, and then it was happening here, and then this happened, and now he, he turned out okay? He, they told us he was dead, and he wasn't. Well, sure, but people, people are fallible. And they make but she was, and, you know. she was bleeding, she was miscarrying... Yeah. And we so were told you, that you there's really no way that the child could survive the environment of her uterus with that much blood and with everything wow. going on at that gestational age. It, he shouldn't be alive. And he is. Right. So, so to just me, I, I don't see that as divine intervention. I see that as there's, there's a reason, there's an explanation, a scientific explanation for, for how he uh, you know, came to, Maybe. to live. Maybe there's something none of us know about. Yeah. But here's the thing that here's the thing that, that that's more important to me than the miracle. When I feel glad for his life, to who do I attribute that gratitude? And this is why when the child revives and the child cures his his cancer is cured, whether that's through chemo or whatever, the child's gonna lie live. My my impulse against materialism says that gratitude that I feel, that hope that I feel, that relief that I feel, those are emotions that belong to someone. Um, gratitude doesn't exist to the stars. It doesn't exist to the cosmos. Gratitude, I feel grateful to someone for something. And when, when my being, gratitude flows out of it, I have to ascribe that to someone. And the someone that I ascribe it to is the Creator. Right. I don't have to ascribe it to somebody. I can just I, I, I could just be glad. I'm just glad. Oh, I'm so happy that my children are healthy and happy and everything is great. You know, I, I and and it's a wonderful Yeah. You know, and I, I feel great about it. Um It wouldn't make me feel great to feel gratitude and have nowhere to put it. Yeah. Well that's that's a I guess that's a, a difference. Mm -hmm. You know. Um yeah, there was something that you you said about the spaces in between, um, but I know, but I lost it. I can't remember. We'll get back to it. So what else? What else should we um, track down? Maybe that's enough. Sure. 
Maybe let's just quickly hit on my my mother is a and brother are Christian scientists, mm -hmm. and their belief is that the the spiritual world is the world, and that this physical manifestation stuff is is sort of illusory. I mean, we we're, we're sort of bumping around in this physical world, but that's not really the truth, mm -hmm. right? The truth is we are perfect. We are with God, and you know that this is just a. I'm not fully understanding it because I don't understand it mm -hmm. but the the idea that we don't that you know you don't need to cure sickness because there is no sickness with god everything is perfect here we live in a perfect world and um so that that to me that's almost like this materialism sort of taken to an extreme yeah you know it's like there is no physical business and, you know that it's all spiritual well there's a form of that i i don't know i don't know the doctrine of that particular faith well but that it sounds strikingly similar to early gnosticism that there was a, a a physical world and a spiritual world and and generally in gnosticism the physical world they they also had generally among gnostics two gods there was the god of the old testament the creator god and the god of the new testament the father of jesus and generally the physical world was bad and the spiritual yeah. world was good so there was the, the grouchy one. Yeah, and the angry the nice God and the nice yeah. God. Yeah. Um, so how do you... What's your uh, thought about where the spiritual and the physical world interconnect? Like where they, where they meet? So, so miracles would be a place, but there are some, there are some things. Beauty and yeah, art and, 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 and love songs. and yeah, the, the aesthetics and beauty and love and emotion. I think even negative emotion, fear and anger. Those things are those things are something spiritual in general, but they're. Um, the the interesting thing i think about our people is is the component of faith and faith gets put off on a lot of things um faith that 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 you're going to score a touchdown or that your child's not going to have cancer whatever and those are those are kind of flaky faith i think that there is something about christianity and and the faith that is involved in christianity that has like a, a benefit of the doubt. And I think this is the part that probably you and, and people, people with your worldview find objectionable. Faith gives a benefit of the doubt to God. Like, okay, here's a doubt. I don't think that, that Christianity properly understood discourages doubt or questions. I actually think it, it propagates questions and it, and it, it causes us to search for answers to to temporary and eternal questions, but but I, I recognize that it's been abused against uh, innovation and discovery in certain certain times by certain people. But back to the issue of faith, I think that faith says so. I have I have these these reasons and experiences and ideas that cause me to believe in God. And, and once I, once I establish that, that that's a, that's a worldview that I think is consistent, reasonable, and helpful, then when I come up to problems, when I, when something doesn't fit the model, 
I give the benefit of the doubt towards God. So that has all kinds of outworking. A, a very regular one that it has is that we have certain traditions in the church. We do things like baptism and communion. In, in, in my community, we do, we do something called communion every week. And it's a, it's a, it's a sacred uh, ceremony where it goes all the way back to Jesus before he dies. He has a, a last supper with his disciples. And in that meal, he's, he, it's a part of a Jewish feast um, at the time, a very important Jewish feast called the Passover. And it was also a feast of unleavened bread. They got rid of all the yeast. They had flatbread. It was a ceremonial meal in commemoration of their escape from Egypt as slaves. And in that meal with his disciples, he says the, the point to the Passover was to slaughter a lamb. Its blood was put on the lintel of the door. You know it. Yeah, we're going to talk about that later. Oh, good. <laughs> so the blood of the lamb is put on the lintels of the door, and, and the, the, the death angel passes over those houses, right. and the firstborn of Egypt dies. And that cause that breaks the back of, of Egypt, it, 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 it causes Pharaoh to let the Jews go and they escape from Egypt. And the commemoration of all that and that sacrifice of the lamb that preserved the firstborn is commemorated again and again. And it's this feast that Jesus has with, as his last supper with the disciples. And during that supper, he, he takes bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body, which is broken. Eat this in remembrance of me. And, he's, and he passes around a glass of wine and he says, this is my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. And, and he, he starts something there that happens in the first century that's still happening in my living room every Sunday. It's been the custom of Christian people ever since he did that. And what we believe in that, in that is that there's two realities. And what we call sacraments, sacrament is a Latin word for mystery. So baptism is a sacrament, communion is a sacrament, marriage is a sacrament. There's several sacraments, and what, what we believe about those things is that they're places, they're time and space that are, that are where God takes supernatural reality and physical reality and crams them together. They're like wormholes between the supernatural and the physical. So when we eat bread, we're just, it's bread. Uh, the, the Roman Catholics have a little bit different theology about this, but, but we believe that what goes in your mouth is bread, but there's just as real a sense, although not physical, but there's just as real a sense that it is the body of Christ, that he's nourishing us and sustaining us the same way the bread sustains our bodies. And that when we drink the, the cup, it's, it's wine, but it's also not physically, but spiritually, but also in a real sense, his blood. But if you've given yourself, your life as you have to, to God, uh -huh. Isn't every meal his blood and and uh, body? No, you know what I mean? I mean, he's, there's he... some specific reasons why this ceremony functions in the church. An another version would be baptism, where we believe that you you go into a river and you're baptized and you get wet. It's water. It's very viscerally physical, mm. but in the same kind of supernatural sense, it absolves sins. It washes them away. It's a new start. And you, when you go under the water in baptism, you're dying in a sense. It's, it's very symbolic and very supernaturally real. 
that in a sense you're dying, you're putting away the old life, you're, right. and when you come up, you come up in the power of Christ. So these things are those moments that maybe are closest to what your brother and your mother would say, but it's not, yeah. but it's not a rejection of the physical, it's actually an infusion right. of the spiritual and the physical. Well, I want to just sort of wrap up by saying that, um, you know, the, that I believe that molecules blew together and formed little squiggly bits and we became a man and then we invented the guitar and then, you know, doesn't make a David Gilmore solo less awesome to me than it does to you, probably. I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about your family. I know that you love them, but yeah. I can't feel your love. Mm -hmm. I know that the love that I have for my family, from what we talk about, yeah. obviously, is that it is no less than yours. Yeah. And I, it's I believe awesome. that. It's this awesome, amazing mm -hmm. thing. I'm okay with that just... Have just being there, just as it is, you know. I can listen to the guitar solo and just go, man, that's awesome. I mean, that is that's amazing. It's crazy. It's amazing, you know. And maybe you have a word for it, uh -huh. you know, as God. But I, I, it's not that. It's not that you just have a word. It's that you know you really do have a yeah feeling I, that it's sort of God seeping through. I think that your your the scientific part of you, the part that is wants answers and seeks and inquires, sh sh should want to know why that is, not just that it is. And I, I think that's the that's that's my um, essential critique of the materialist position. Right. To be content belies not really pursuing the things that the scientific well, world is supposed to be right, answering. Right, except that I think that there, that it could be scientifically, you know, in the same way that, that when you, you touch a stove and it burns you, right? It's mm -hmm. this horrible thing, and then you put it in water, and then it's this icy cold thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's this wonderful, you know, and maybe that's what dissonance is. It's the burning of the, you know, your eardrums are going, whoa, uh -huh. that's not jiving, and then, you know, there is a reason why the, the, the one, three, five make a chord that we find pleasing. There's a scientific sine wave reason why that feels like rest and home. And mm -hmm. there's a reason why a suspended four chord feels like we need to go somewhere. And then when we get the release, of the, you know, we all, everybody in the room will feel it that but same is it a, way. But it's a chicken and egg argument. Do we feel that way because it's that way, or is it that way because we feel it that way? Right. Whatever you just said, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. let, me, let me close with one story. I was in Jerusalem. <clears throat> I was driving in the Golan Heights, uh, which is a trippy place to drive. At least it was back then. We stopped. We were driving up above Lake Tiberias on the Jordanian-Israel border. And um, it's this beautiful hillside. I had spent uh, the last several weeks inside the old city of Jerusalem. Where it's all like cobblestone and stone walls. And like it was amazing to get out into this these beautiful rolling hills, but it's also it's also was at one time hotly disputed borderlands, and there's still landmines. We actually pulled off to the side of the road to try to figure out where we were going, and drove by a sign and realized that it was a warning sign that there were landmines there. So we're like, oh, I got to get out of here. So we're stopped there for a minute, try to figure out where we're going, and I was just, it's just. I, I don't know. I'm just along for the ride. I don't know nothing. I'm just here. You guys figure it out. So I'm standing there and I'm looking around and I'm just enjoying the scene. And there's, it's these like, it's this like rolling hill with grasslands. 
and there's this one flower and I picked up this flower and was just, it was the most beautiful flower I've ever seen to this day. Had like five white petals, a small flower, and these purple stamens that just looked like an explosion coming out of the center of it. And I just was awestruck at this flower. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And as I sat in there and looked at this, and I killed it, I picked it up. Yeah, I was like, God's like, no, the guy now! It was the only one, dude. As I was looking at it, I thought, why should this be? Now, I can understand that color and variation is useful to plants, yeah. and I can understand that bees maybe like the purple. But why should I find it beautiful? Why should it be meaningful to me? I'm not a bee, and I'm not a flower. And I thought, and, and it's not for me, because I'm just, like, I wasn't supposed to be here. That, there was, this was not part of my plan. There's no way I could have planned for this. It's not, like, right. it's not like my garden out front where I planted a rose bush. All across these hillsides, here are these amazing, exquisite things. And for whom are they exquisite? And I attribute that to God. It doesn't, it's not just about me. I'm just a component that God loves beauty and that's why we love beauty. That's I, why the world yeah. is the way it is. And I feel that it's completely scientific that, you know, the, 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 the purple and the white are, have a sort of dissonance that attracts you to it and it attracts the bees to it and it's the same reason that we like a jazz chord, that we like that flower. You know, it's the, there's a, there's a reason we don't understand everything. I mean, we don't understand how bees work really, and why they're attracted to what they are, and you know, why why would we then also be attracted? But maybe there is something about life being attracted to life. You know, uh, I don't know. Um, well, I like my worldview better. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to be wrong. You know, it's fine. Um, God, there was one more thing I wanted to say. I can't remember it. See, that's me. We'll do, we'll have to do a wrap week, up. Right? We'll be, I'll take a shower. Okay. And then in the shower, I'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I should have said this. Yeah. All right. So, um, oh, we'll check um, in. yeah, very good. Love you, man. Love you. All right.